Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I am here with my beautiful co-host, as always, Curtis Dewar. Hello. And our wonderful guest, Scotty Heath of Tank Crimes. Yo, what up, Dumb and Dummy? <laughs> Tank Crimes has been, so it was really weird when I got in touch with Scotty, uh, just for our listeners, uh, a couple weeks ago, because Tank Crimes has like legit been a top five label for me since I was like 15. <laughs> um, so I definitely was a little bit thrown. Um, <laughs> you know, that's been a real, that's been um, a new thing for me is um, people that grew up on the label. That's just starting to happen to me. Like in the last year when I'm hearing that kind of stuff, um, like that's amazing to me, but I never feel sure. that old. Not that I'm against being old, but I just, it, it's like, crazy to think about the longevity of the label absolutely that people that yep. people grew up on it because i think of the shit that i grew up on and honestly that's what i always go back to like yeah. 90s music is my go-to always yep. um so i feel like if i if, if somebody grew up with 10 crimes hopefully they're like checking it they're like coming back <laughs> you know yeah so there's a whole bunch of things i wanted to dig into but kind of to start can you because 10 crimes has obviously been around for like a very long time. Uh, can you sort of give us the, the, the comic book one, the origin story? The origin story. Um, well, so I always was just into all kinds of music and hip hop was actually the first music that I like dug deep on when I was like nine and 10 years old, like staying up late, recording shit off the radio. There was only a couple of radio stations that played hip hop at the time in the late eighties and you had to like stay up late on the weekends to hear it. And I would dub those tapes and stuff. And that's kind of when I like got um, like obsessive about music, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, through high school, I just listened to everything. Um, and then I got into punk really through ska kind of like ska was my big shit, punk ska. And then that's what got me going to shows and then got me into more punk. And, but I was always like a bystander. I grew up in a small town in Michigan. And I didn't really, like, there was a huge difference between what was going on on the stage and me standing in the crowd. And in the late 90s, I moved out to San Francisco, and uh, I didn't really find the underground for a couple years, but I was going to just any kind of fucking show I could find. Reggae, hip-hop, punk, all that stuff. I mean, the late 90s were huge for um, Epitaph stuff and Fat Records stuff that I was into. Um, it was in the early two, like right around 2000s is when I found the underground scene. There's a record store called Mission Records in San Francisco. Yeah. And that's where they would have shows. And it was like, you can bring your own beer here. And the liquor store will sell me a 40 and I'm 19. Like this, It was a whole new fucking thing. And right. that was when I was like, holy shit, I can do this. And um me and some friends started a band. My first hardcore band was called Deadfall. And I was the drummer because I had the best job. I was waiting tables at the Cheesecake Factory at Union Square in San Francisco. And it was like, you're playing drums. No one else can afford a drum kit. And that's kind of how it started. And uh, just doing that, like I was empowered to do everything. And uh, I didn't actually start Tank Crimes. Um, we were playing shows a lot and the club that kind of like defined the little area of Bay Area punk that Ten Crimes spawned from was called Burnt Ramen out in Richmond, California. 
And uh, we had a guy just came up to us. I mean, we're friends now, but at the time it was just this dude, Bob, was like, hey, I want to put out your guys' record. And we were like, fuck yeah. And we scheduled studio time like right then. And we were a new band. And uh, I mean, a lot of people, especially people who play punk, can listen to their earliest recordings and be like, holy shit, like we thought that was a good take or whatever. But there's a lot of charm in that too. And uh, absolutely. But, so Bob puts out our record and uh, he sends, he did 1,100 copies for the first press, which it seems insane right now, but in, 2001 2002 that was totally normal um and they just all show up at my house so i was like hey we got the records like they're they're all here and he's like fucking sweet right on you guys like uh have a kick-ass summer i'm gonna go train hop all summer and i was like okay uh what do you want us to do with those records and he's like they're yours man fucking it's out fucking go play shows and sell records so my label start and the record label is called controlled by play was bob's record label and bob's idea for a label was probably the most punk and generous way you could run a label he bought us 1100 seven inches and gave them to us and told us it was out now that was kind of like we didn't know anything about running a record label and we didn't actually thinking back like bob didn't know what the fuck he was doing obviously but i just had a we just kind of thought like well this label probably try to like sell our records to stores and shit right and but no he wasn't so it kind of i mean there's always like the band dad right and i was already that guy i was already the one booking the shows and just kind of getting out there for the band, helping us meet people. You know, I was kind of the loud mouth in the band and stuff like that. So it just kind of fell on me to find a place for these records. And um, the huge helps early on, Jeff from Six Weeks Records, Felix from Havoc's Records, Max from 625. I mean, these were the labels I wanted to be when I started. These, you know, Sound Pollution. Yeah. Yeah. The, this was the shit. I didn't listen to any metal at all at this point. Not at all. And, um, and so I just like followed these guys advice. Jeff from six weeks gave me a list of, of, of uh, zines to send for review and a handful of their labels to, that I could trade with. And I, we moved those 1100 records in like eight months. And a lot of them through, I was trading them six records at a time and then loading up my distro. And then I've got a, I still have it. Um, I just had this old lady cart that I would fill with the distro and push it to shows. And that, that's, that's how Tank Crime started. A lot of people that knew me early on know me as the guy like at the distro table at Burnt Robin. And right off the bat, I bought a one inch button maker and that was huge. Like that's kind of, a lot of people have those now. Like every scene kind of has its own one inch button maker person. But like I was early on that or, or later, or I don't know, but that was huge. Um, having those fucking buttons um, to like build the business. It was crazy. And then I went from there to bootleg t-shirts and that was when eBay came out and I bootlegged hardcore shirts until I, until I didn't have to anymore, basically. Yeah. So that's that takes crazy. me to, I don't know, that takes us to like 2005 and that's kind of when the label really started because the first three records came out in four years maybe 
Right. So, so you were barely active. Yeah. Well, I was active every fucking day in the local scene and promoting my band and stuff. But the idea of having another $2,000 at one time to put out another record, that was just, um, that was crazy. Like there was no way I was going to pay my rent and have that extra money to do it. I, I didn't have any credit or anything at the time. Um, so that's just kind of where we were just like busting ass and, um, just going for it, but not really knowing what I was doing at all. And mm-hmm. definitely not aspiring to be where I'm at today. Um, like I didn't, I didn't think that it would be my job for sure. I didn't think that. Uh, what so point- that's the origin story, I guess, of tech yeah. crimes. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. What point did yeah, it? Yeah, there's a lot. A I tried to do it as fast as possible with like the five key details. Yeah. So. At what point did it become a job? At what point were you able to be like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to be a punk now"? Well, it kind of morphed because the thing was is that um, so I got fired from the last job I have. I was working as a cocktail waiter at a bar called Harvey's in the Castro in San Francisco. It's a super famous bar. And uh, I was um, cocktailing lunches there, and it was the last job I ever had. I, I got fired from that job because I missed a staff meeting, just like hungover and stupid and forgot to set my alarm. And I walked all the way home that day with my last paycheck. And at the time, I was hustling the buttons. We had the record out. Um, I was booking shows. And I just thought, I, there's got to be a way to hustle this. Like, I don't want to go get another fucking job. And eBay had just come out. I was doing eBay before PayPal was invented. So it was like, I was hustling buttons and shit like that. But pe- but I, st- I would have like a PO box full of money orders. Like every time okay. I'd go down there and then I'd like walk all the money orders to the bank. And then I'd walk home and fill all the envelopes with the buttons and then walk back to the, um, walk back to the post office. And then I would like hustle... I mean, I could go to a I could go to a punk show and make a few hundred bucks off buttons, patches. I would t- go to um, like the Goodwill or thrift stores and stuff like that, and just buy as many T-shirts as I could, and then flip them inside out and screen print shirts on them. And then I would go to a show with like a laundry basket full of T-shirts, and it would just be like, "Yo, dig! They're five bucks each." And it's like some people, you know, it's like a cool ass punk shirt. And then uh, there was also a lot of teenagers involved, yeah. um, which I don't see as much at hardcore shows um, yeah. right now as I did. Like when George Bush was president, I knew like I had no business when I was like 26 years old, knowing that many 15 year olds. But that's just how punk is. you know. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So I, I actually had this weird thing happen the other day at my friend's show. And like, you know, obviously it's Brooklyn and there's not a lot of all ages shows. And even when there are all ages shows, I'm still somehow the youngest person in the room. Um, but I was like, there was like a pair of a pair of 16 year olds there. And I was just like, man, they make them that young. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. One of the weird things for me moving to New York was like sneaking the St. Vitus bar. <laughs> when I was 19. And I just kind of assumed there'd be other 19 year olds doing that. And there weren't. And that really upset me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but th- th- a huge difference is those kids all had like a $20 bill from mom. Yeah. And that's really like, 
Yeah. Like giving those kids something to spend their $20 on besides a 40, which, you know, there goes $3. So, and then it was $5 to get into the show. And then I want your other fucking 10, 11, $12 before you. Sure, 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 sure. And, and that was it. It was like nonstop. I would punch out buttons for hours and hours and hours. We were constantly like scrolling dial up internet, looking for more um, like uh, image quality fucking JPEGs that I could, that I could grab that would print at like a quarter inch size. So I could press it onto a button. And I wasn't just doing punk. I was doing like anything I thought, well, shit I liked, but I was doing like Simpsons buttons and like beer buttons, skateboard companies, hip hop, like anything that there's just any kind of interest in that also I'm interested in. I wasn't like right. doing a stretch, like what else makes money? I was just like, what, what would people want on a fucking button? Right. And even early tours I did with Deadfall and Votesec, um, those buttons would pay i would be the one on tour with money right and even with deadfall there was times where there was a tour where i would give half of the money that the distro made back to the band because the band wasn't making any fucking money and so sometimes we'd leave a show and like the band would get paid like i don't know like 55 dollars or something and then i'd have like 210 dollars right so that was just part, you know, it was like, I, like I said, I was the band dad. And then I was the only one making an income off what we were doing. Because the band wasn't, you know. So you so were... that was all the early hustle. That was all the early hustle. And then a huge game changer happened to me when um, I got invited to play drums in Votesec. And I was yeah. super intimidated. And I had two weeks notice. Um, this guy who... Uh, does a zine out here called Urban Gorilla. This guy, Jay Unitos, calls me. And he's like, hey, do you know this band Votesack? And I'm like, I, I saw them play. Yeah, they're pretty sick. What's going on? Yeah, they need a drummer and they have a full US tour booked and they leave in two weeks. Are you interested? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I, I think so. Yeah, like, you know, I, how can I say no to this? And um, I mean, these... Amy and Athena from the band are, are my closest friends. That, that's my family now. Um, but at the time, they were in their 30s, and I was still in my mid-20s, and they just seemed like old ladies to me. You know, like it was yeah. crazy how close we are now. But, you know, the younger you are, the age difference just seems so much bigger. Sure. And um, what happened there was I didn't know how – I was going to get along with, I'd get along with everyone fine, but I didn't know I was going to be making like best friends and stuff. But the thing was, was Athena, um, our bass player was, was running six weeks records at the time with her husband, Jeff. And um, they had just put out the municipal waste crucial unit split 12 inch. And half of our shows were going to be with municipal waste. Now I didn't know those guys either, but I just knew if like I'm not gonna have the greatest time with these ladies in Votesec, we're gonna meet up with Municipal Waste in seven days for like two and a half weeks. And so I can probably like party with these dudes and have a good time if everything doesn't work out. And, sure. um, and then so we did like six shows across the US and I met Municipal Waste. Now um, it's just Tony and Ryan from the band were, were there then there was a 
different rhythm section at the time. But um, I met them in front of ABC No Rio in New York. And yeah. that was 2002 or 2003. And um, th those are my best friends now. I mean, that's, I, I worked for Municipal Waste on the road. Uh, I did merch for them for like four years after they put out the first earache record. And then I took some time off. And just last year, I rejoined the band as uh, instrument tech and stage manager. And so that all comes from this, me saying yes to joining Boatset. Yeah. And that, that's probably the biggest um, thing. I mean, knowing Municipal Waste has been, that's been the biggest part. I mean, not just as my best friends, but a lot of people know what Tank Crimes is because of Municipal Waste. And certainly all the time I spend on the road with those guys is me like talking to kids and hitting up stickers and just, all, just like I fucking street team the globe when I'm out on tour. Yeah. yeah. So uh, can we, um, I know, know you guys were talking about his past, but I want to switch on to social media if you guys are both okay with that. Yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to fast forward ahead of my, my origin story. So, yeah, so, sorry, because I, I wanted to ask, ask about your social media because you're active on very, all the different platforms. Um, which one? Yeah, well, that's what the, this is what the podcast is about, right? Totally, 100%. Yeah, I wasn't trying to cut you off. I apologize. Um, but I wanted to find out about Twitter specifically. So now you're quite active on Twitter. How did you get yourself in how do I want to frame this? How did you get yourself so that you were comfortable with the platform and getting interaction with followers? I guess is what I, what I want to ask. Uh, I'm just a comfortable guy. Um, okay. I, I, I cuss a lot. Uh, yep. I don't have a big filter. And um, one of the things that I do with social media is um, I don't have a personal page anywhere. Um, oh. I mean, I have a personal Facebook, but I don't ever go to it. I use the Ten Crimes Facebook. Um, okay. But uh, I just kind of communicate the way I would with anyone. And I'm not sure, like, how I got comfortable because, I mean, obviously I've been on there for a long time now, and I don't, I don't really remember, like, the early days of, like, how much interaction I was getting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I found out early that, <clears throat> you know, like, posting a tour date only goes so far. Totally. Yeah. But posting a joke or even just talking shit or like whatever, it just, I, I just, I've always interjected my personality into the label. It's, it, they're just, they, they run parallel to each other, me and the label. It's the same thing. Well, um, let, me, let me ask you this, just, just, just to uh, get a little bit more information. So when you, what was, what was, when, you, how long have you been on Twitter for first? Uh, shit. It's got to be time now. I mean, probably seven or eight years. Okay, so you were basically in early. Like, how long has Twitter been around? Yeah, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think. Cool. So you, so you would have been an early adopter to it. Okay, so now oh, I lost you, fuckers. Oh, you still there? Yeah, yeah. You okay, got cool. me. Okay, yep. I lost you guys for a second. Yeah, I don't. I think I was pretty early on Twitter. I don't know, like a year or two after it came out. So how did you get, how did, were you, did you manage to get the amount of followers that you have? Because, I mean, you got like 6,062, 6,300 followers or something like that. And a lot, of, a lot of people just struggle to even get above like even a couple hundred, especially labels, right? So how, how do you manage to go on Twitter and accumulate that amount of followers, do you think? I really think it's just consistency, just showing up every day and posting stuff. I mean, I like Twitter the best because I don't feel like there's a limit. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I, you got to be a, a real fucking punisher to post too much on Twitter. You know, I, I mean, I have self-awareness about how much I post, but mm 
but I usually, I do Twitter in the mornings because I'll wake up and like check like regular news, then like music news and uh, you know, narrow it down to my interests or whatever. But I'm just like up in the morning with coffee and whatever's on my mind, usually like what's going on with the news will spark like some commentary or just whatever I'm thinking or just like give the world a fucking shout out for the day. Um, so you do it, a but lot. It was of very things. organic. I never had like some campaign to get more followers or any real like tactics or anything. You know, it was just kind of like, um, let's see what people are feeling, you know, and go from there. And uh, another thing that's funny about Twitter is none of my friends are on there. And I think that's a reason why I like it more. Like, <laughs> it's funny. Like, if there's, like, some of the shit I post on Twitter, if I posted it on, like, my, on, like, my personal Facebook, I'd yeah. have to, like, talk to a bunch of fucking people I know, like, family members yeah. and old fucking schoolmates. And then, you know, I kind of like that Twitter's, like, I mean, the people I interact with most on Twitter, I don't know in real life. Absolutely. Um, but like, I mean, you guys know that those people are like my homies, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I got people that show up every fucking day for my Twitter, you know, and I don't know who the totally. fuck they are, but I know they're, sh they got good taste in Twitter, you know. <laughs> so, how, okay, now here's another thing, because one thing we try to teach people specifically with Twitter is just to be yourself, be authentic. Now, how do you do that while still being entertaining? Because you do, you are entertaining on your Twitter for sure. You just answered my question. I am entertaining, so I'm being authentic. <laughs> like, totally. Well, how, but how, but like, do you ever get stuck? Like when you're thinking about like, what am I going to tweet today? Do you like, you like, how, how do you? No, do no. When you start doing that, just put down your phone. I agree. Like, because I don't. That actually never happens to me on Twitter, but it happens sometimes on Instagram. Like, oh, I need the, I want like a super dope photo today to like get yeah. people like motivated. Yeah. And sometimes if I'll sit there for a few minutes, I'm, I'll just be like, nah, it's not happening today. Because I don't think you can, you can't like press your brain into some sort of organic authenticity on the spot while you're holding your hand with the fucking tweet already open, like halfway typed, you know, it just yeah. doesn't work. And then I have a fucking full ass draft folder too, because I just give up sometimes. <laughs> I even did this one time. Shit, it's been years. I should do this again now that I'm remembering it. One day, I just was like, fuck it. I'm about, I hope, hold on to your fucking socks. I'm about to publish every tweet in my draft folder. Oh, and God. I just went for it, you know? And it was like, <laughs> some shit was like half tweets. Some shit was maybe, and then what it made me think was like, why I didn't press tweet on these, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, um, Sometimes it's political, and I don't mean political like like the government or whatever, but just yeah. like sometimes I'm like, ah, it looks like I didn't hit send on this tweet because I just didn't feel with dealing with that yeah. that day. You yeah. know, like some days you're in the mood, like, oh, let me talk some shit and see if somebody wants to fuck around on here. Yeah. And other days it's just like, nah, nah, I'll just post a photo or like a link to a fucking thing. But one thing I rarely do with Twitter is, um, which honestly I, I could sprinkle it in more, mm -hmm. is just like trying to sell shit. But that's another thing. Like, I don't think Twitter's a good sales platform. No, so, I agree. I agree with you 100% on that. I, I do that I, as I little as possible. I mean, if I don't yeah. have something specifically that I'm working mm -hmm. to sell, um, I'm not really posting stuff on there. And then yep. like, sometimes I'll just get a little thing like, oh shit, like 
um, this record, I could sell a couple of records. Cause when I do like, I'll see, it's not big, but if like I pick an old record from the back catalog and like post a picture and a link and maybe a little like trivia about the, the album or something like that, yep. I'll see direct sales like that day for sure. Like people cool. will read it and be like, oh shit, I didn't know about this one. I'm going to go fucking spend 18 bucks over at 10 crimes. And, do you find but I, that sure. wouldn't work every day. There's no fucking way. Well, do you find that a certain platform works the best for sales, like for social media platforms? Um, or is I'm it all sure just about, interacting? I'm not sure about sales, but I mean, I just think Instagram is where is what people like I, the best. I mean, I think everyone agrees. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like going back, I don't even have a business Instagram account. I just have fucking Scotty's Instagram. That's that's handle is Tank Crimes and my life is tank crime so that's what it mostly talks about but if you want to hang out uh you got to see a picture of my girlfriend you got to see a picture of my dog rest in peace mm -hmm. and shit like that that comes along um with with me with with tank crimes you know so that's kind of the same on the twitter it's like if you don't like my personality you're not gonna like the twitter and hopefully that doesn't turn you off from the bands, but yeah. it, it seems to actually work positively. You know, I mean, yeah. I try to, I, a lot of my bands, when they're like, what do I even do on there? I'm like, just fucking watch what I do, dude. Like, yep. even, just steal my shit. That's what I do sometimes, you know? Absolutely. Now, uh, I want to ask one more question before you, you, you say something, Matt. Please. So which, which one of the platforms, okay. So how often do you spend on each of the platforms every day? Just out of curiosity. Shit, I lost you guys. Sorry. Are you there now? Scott? Oh, hopefully we didn't lose him. Scotty? I'm going to slide into his DMs. Doobie, doobie, doo. That's I don't know how to edit that's audio. Sing striper songs. We're just going to sing striper songs. Matt. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's the podcast now. It's just Matt and Curtis sing Striper. We'll do we'll do we'll do the sing along song, which is just oh. oh, oh hey, you guys back? Oh, hey, we're back. Okay, oh, we're Curtis, Curtis Striper was singing. Songs. Curtis was singing Striper. I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but, I'm back. But to, to I think my last question for you. I caught, uh, I didn't miss any of the questions. You said I got a question for you, then I lost you. Okay, so the question was how. How much time per day do you spend on each of the platforms for social media? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Cause it just kind of happens organic. It's like a feeling, you know, I'll be here working at the house or like last month I was on tour for five and a half months. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like when something strikes me and then especially on tour too, like, I don't know what time zone I'm in, like yeah. comparatively to where my, like most of my fans are here in California, like yeah. tenfold over anywhere else in the fucking globe. Um, but I don't have a, a schedule like that at all. And sometimes I might go social media dark for a couple days. And then yeah. some days I'm just fucking obnoxious and like yeah. on there all day with a hair up my ass about being funny or moving some records or something like that. You know, what's your normal schedule for the label anyways, like daily. Did you Scotty? hear me, Scotty? Yo, I'm back again. What's your normal schedule for the label, like as a daily schedule? Like, when do you start? When do you end? Uh, I start when I wake up, and I end when I go to bed. I have no schedule at all. Mm. Um, I've been trying to wake up earlier lately. I'm actually I haven't had any alcohol all month, 
So mm-hmm. what is that? I'm on 26 days on the wagon right now. So when I, when I tighten up like that, I try to tighten up in all areas, like mm-hmm. get a little workout in, get up a little earlier because when I'm drinking all the time, I can be a real piece of shit mm-hmm. and not do any of that stuff, especially mm-hmm. because I'm my own boss. So like no one can tell me not to just smoke weed and watch the office all day if I'm hungover. Sure. Um, so I don't really have anything. It really comes down to like what needs to be done. Um, when I used to pack my own mail order, it was just relentless. It was just be like, there's a st- I went to bed last night at fucking three in the morning and there was still 40 orders to be packed. And so I got to get down to the post office and back. Um, now that, uh, outsourcing my mail order kind of saved the label and that's been like four years yeah. now, three or four years. And that's really what I needed at the time because, um, I was like, up at same thing like up at three in the fucking morning folding pieces of cardboard around lps and i kind of like was like is this the dream like am i living the dream is this what i want is this the dream i had Mm -hmm. like standing in line at the post office and like answering paypal claims and ordering fucking packaging tape and like that kind of stuff and in hindsight it was the dream but it had to it had to evolve yeah because it was becoming not that so i really don't have a schedule and i run the whole fucking label off my phone um so it's like the people i need to communicate with is like whatever bands the thing is i only work with bands who are my friends so all band stuff doesn't even go by email it's all text message really yeah um so really my only um like my big responsibilities besides social media is Mm -hmm making sure my web store and my distributors are stocked with all the records and making sure that my PR knows what we're working on this week, you know? Um, So it does that. So really social media is really like my, I mean, besides the ins and outs of running the label and actually like choosing the bands and working with them to get their product together and stuff. um, I mostly just need to use my phone to remind motherfuckers that I exist every and that's really yeah. like the whole, that's really my social media campaign. Don't forget I'm here. So. Which is basically the point of the entire platform. The point of everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, um, if you, every day when you look at your fucking phone, I want mm-hmm. you to be reminded that I'm here. So how and, much and is hopefully too- I can make you smile or make you think along the way. But really, I just need you to, your brain to be like, oh, yep. Ten Crimes is a record label that exists. <clears throat> that well, does punk and metal how, how many okay how how much so how many posts per day do you think is too much then because i agree with you that you got to make it so that way people don't forget you but how much is too much i think that um i think one i wish i could do one a day on instagram that yeah. would be my goal and i'm not i i'm a i'm a couple a week um i think one a day on Inst- if i could wake up every morning and if i didn't have um something new if i just would just get a dope live shot or something that would be great um i kind of think anymore that's too much um but but not necessarily i mean you guys always talk about context and stuff like that and that's that's true too but for me that would be too much um twitter it's like sky's the limit you can kind of be self-aware like i'll know if i'm getting annoying and also i have like my like positive personality so i'll be like sometimes i have to be like 
yo, like, I fucking, you know, if you're a fucking honest person, I fucking want you to succeed. And fucking this is all about love and fucking niceness is priceless and fucking show some humility and get rid of your fucking ego and fucking mm-hmm. get ready to fucking, you know, show some grit, da da da. Mm-hmm. And then if that feels like I'm being a little too fucking Gary V on some motherfuckers, I want to be like, yo, hail Satan. Fucking, yeah. you know, who's got a fucking heart on this morning? Like, you need to flip it around. Like, you can't totally. just go, you can't just punish people with one, one thing over and over again. So I kind of like use like, there's like a duality there of like real, like heartfelt messages and yeah. jokes and just, you know. Like, I mean, some of my most popular tweets is when I just say, you know, 666 or like, who's 420 today, you know, like, and that's basic internet culture, you know? Yeah. So we're, we're running low on time. Um, cause I I, gotta come back. I gotta come back guys. We do want you back. We do. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, here's kind of a weird question for you, but I think you're going to appreciate it. Okay. Yep. If you have to distill sort of the punk and DIY world that you and I come from into two sentences, what would it be? Friendship. I mean, that's all it really is to me is, yeah. is friendship. If I didn't like the people that I met while I was touring and the bands that I work with, I would have moved on by now. You know, yeah. um, that's what's rewarding to me is the friends. And if, if all this shit shuts down tomorrow... I got some good ass people and now these people are international. Yeah. You know, and um that's really what it means to me because um you know I, I do work another job with municipal waste that that pays and um I pick up jobs here and there um for extra cash. Um but Tank Crimes does pay my rent and have food on the table but um I could easily be doing something else with um like with my qualifications, just with my own personality. I mean, I got duct tape on my couch and I drive a thousand dollar car, but I wouldn't have it any other way because of even shit like this, just like talking to you guys this morning. Like this is my job today. Like I can seriously shut up the phone and be like, Oh yeah, I work today. I went on fucking bacon and Curtis's fucking podcast. Like Mm -hmm. it's called a wrap. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good way to be. Thank you so much for so listening. That's what's most important to me. And a lot of people don't understand that, um, especially because I get pitches all the time and I don't accept demos or anything like that. You know, yeah. And that's hard for people to explain. And I know, you know, you do these deep dives on how to make contacts and make friendships and stuff like that. And that's really all it's about. I mean, people are like, well, how do I meet? The number one thing I tell bands, go to shows. Yeah. The whole fucking band. You got that's four funny. dudes. And you want to get shows? I've never seen any of you motherfuckers. You yeah, have to go it's, it's not to hard. shows and be part of it. And you don't have to show up at the show with a fucking notepad or a bunch of fucking business cards or something like that. That's not it either. Just fucking show up. Buy the opening band's fucking t-shirt. That'll make a friend right there because you know it's the fucking guitar player working the merch. Mm-hmm. So shit like that. I mean... The best scenes are when all the local bands are wearing each other's fucking shirts and buttons. Like, you know something's going on when that's happening. And um, honestly, yeah. I blame one of, the, one of the things, and this is the beginning of social media for bands, is- We got 60 seconds uh, left. 
don't have a battle of the bands mentality. That was what I was going to say. Yeah, there we it's go. Cooperation. It's not competition. There's not a finite amount of success for fucking musicians. It's just not. Beautiful. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Dumb and Dumbest.